This is Jamie Finn from Foster the Family, and this is The Real Mom Podcast. It is season two, episode 14 of The Real Mom Podcast. We are getting in double digits. I feel like we're legit now. We've had all kinds of guests, all kinds of topics, and today is such a good one. Definitely one of my very favorite episodes with my friend Shay Balahadia, who is a biological and foster mom, but we talk a lot more about her experience even before coming a mom of childhood trauma and the healing and how that affects her as a foster mom now. I learned so much from Shay. I learned so much about this journey and really about God and his heart for our kids' parents, for us. I loved getting to talk to her. I was so encouraged, and I believe that you will be too. Enjoy this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Shay Bellahadia. Shay is a friend of mine that I actually met at the field retreat. So that's something I want to chat about quickly. But she is a biological and foster mom. She has taught me a lot. She shares openly just about her past, about being a single foster and bio mom. And I just love her perspective. I'm so excited for you to get to hear from her today. So hi, Shay. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so excited that we are doing this. I think we've met twice. Yeah. California. All right. So I'm just realizing that I don't think we've ever talked about the field retreat on the Mm. podcast. So I want to talk field retreat real quick. You were there. Did you come and you were at field West? Did you come by yourself or did you come with a crew? Uh, I came with a crew. I mean, because I think because California foster care is so like such a small community in reality, like with social media and just how things are, it's a little bit more close knit than I feel like East coast. So I kind of knew, I mean, we kind of all knew each other as we were going in. Um, I bunked with two of my friends that I met through Whitney, but, I knew a bunch of, I mean, there was just a bunch of us. We were like, oh, hey, we knew we were all coming here. (laughs) Cool. All right. So tell me your experience at the field retreat. Give me like a 10 second commercial for what was like, what hit you, what you experienced. Um, For me, I think the thing that hit me the most is that I was in a room filled with women that understood what I was going through um, and moms that understood what I was going through as a foster parent, because it's so hard to convey this life and like have people understand how difficult it is. And it was just so crazy to be in a room full of people who are current, who were currently in it currently, like just in the midst of that, the craziness and the chaos and being able to just like, be there with them and just be like in fellowship and in friendship and in love and knowing that I, these are these women that understand me and understand what's going on in my house. That was like so big because I, I mean, my friends are all parents, but they don't get this. Right. So it was really nice. Yeah. There's something about sitting with people and not having like 
qualifiers and definitions and to be like, well, my child struggles with this because, and it's just like, you can just say like, oh yeah, we're dealing with night terrors. And everyone's like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah. (laughs) Or like, oh yeah, I just said goodbye. And everyone's just in it with you right away without the definitions and explanations that you typically need. Yeah. Or even like, uh, I found it just relieving because I don't, yeah. Like you don't have to stop and be like, Oh, well, what I mean about rad is that, and like explain all of these things that are going on in my house. And I can just literally lay it all out. Be like, Oh, I dealt with, I've been dealing with rad and ODD and and people are like, Oh my gosh. Instead of, can you explain? So it's just the difference in like mentality and being in the same company with, people who completely get completely get it was just amazing like it was fun it was great to like feel that and then just feel like the holy spirit was there so it was just awesome so that's awesome sweet okay well that's like our our quick commercial for the field retreat i'll link to fieldretreat.com just i mean west is sold out so can't get to west even if you want to but east we have a few more even though that's going soon too but i just I get to be at a lot of these things throughout the year. I <laughs> so I love it's the film so cool. retreat because it's, it's like my, my baby, my love child. Yeah. <laughs> but I love just getting to that experience, which is so unique for so many women. I am just like flooded with it. And honestly, it was sort of what birthed the, the podcast, knowing that there are so many women who don't get to have these conversations. And I'm like, I get to talk to these amazing women from all over the country who have different stories and experiences all the time. And I'm like, they should just get to hear us talk. If they don't get to do it, at least they can hear it and learn from all the people that I get to learn from. So anyway, yeah, that's great. That's our, our quick little, how we know each other. And so now I want you to introduce us to you more. Tell me about your family. Uh, so I am a single mom. Uh, I have a 13 year old biological daughter. Um, I have, I mean, she's with me completely a hundred percent of the time. So I'm truly a single parent. Um, and I currently have a five month old, um, long-term placement that, uh, was moved to me from another home. And, uh, right now that's kind of it. Uh, he's a lot because he's just uh, fragile and failure to thrive and a bunch of other things. He's a, a fetal alcohol NAS baby. So it's a lot. Um, and this is actually my first like uh, hard baby. So getting used to it and trying to get routine um, has been what it is my last couple of weeks. But um, before that I had, two little boys that I got when they were two months old and one and a half, they were full siblings. And I ended up, um, they ended up being reunited or reunified, um, in April and they had been with me for a year. So it's just been crazy. It's been a crazy season this last few months. Yeah. So I've been able to watch you just on social media, basically, and the kids who've come and gone. And I know that, you're like me, you love deep and hard. And these kids, when they're in your home, they're yours completely. What was, what was it like? I mean, a year we hear longer, but a year is a long time. (laughs) What was saying goodbye? Like, um, a year, I feel like a year with babies and toddlers is just so 
it's so much time because of how much they develop in that time. And because your relationship with them is so physical and so like 24 hours a day. I think it's physicalness that is, that really deepens that bond so quickly. Yeah. And it just, it was hard. I mean, uh, I have a really, I think we're the same when we talk about like, like your foster the family, our foster the family, like it's not about healing the baby, it's healing the family and coming together. And so it's really cool. It's really cool to have that mentality, build a relationship with the parents. And then when it's time to go, like it sucked. I was, I mean, I'm still currently in that grief cycle of like, there's times where I, uh, when I first, when they first went home, they, I, I was hearing phantom cries. Mm. around nap time because I mean for 364 days before I could that's what was happening every time at 11 o'clock they were crying so I when they went home I was hearing phantom cries um and I was just like it, it was more of the routine like the routine of life that we had that rhythm then it was gone and then I was like oh my gosh it's been a year I don't even know what life is like without them especially as like on physically on me all the time so and it was just so crazy that one day it was just yeah yeah and it doesn't matter how much you have vision for it and believe it's the right thing the your experience doesn't change that i think that there could be hope in it and because your mind is in the right place but your body and your heart need to catch up to that yeah, I agree. I mean, and I, at first I was like, this is dumb. Why am I, why am I, why am I sad? This is dumb. Like, this is exactly what I wanted. Like, this is why I'm doing this. I'm right. doing this for them to go home, but why am I sad? And I just had to like, think about it and like pray. And God was just like, look, you've poured a lot into these kids. It's okay to feel sad. Mm-hmm. Like this is the, this, this is, this is the way that I am trying to make this case go, but it's okay. Like it's okay for you to be sad, like sit in that grief and just experience it. So that's like what my resolution was, is that like, as I go, I mean, for any kid, as I go through it, like to actually go through it, not just like brush it aside. Like this is dumb, like sit in each each step of grief and actually feel it so that way it won't revisit okay so can i ask you something million things you are you into the enneagram yes what number are you i'm a six are you a six seven (laughs) yes okay because that's the because so i'm a seven eight so i Uh, anyone who doesn't know the Enneagram is going to, or knows it and rolls their eyes at it. But this is what I need to say. The seven thing that motivation being like joy and fun and not having pain and everything being good and happy. I think that it can be extra hard for those of us who have that seven tendency of like, let's just make everything good again. And to not really let yourself grieve um, and not sit in that more. So I, when people ask me how I deal my answer, which I'm just now realizing kind of uh, how unhealthy it is, is I get another kid. You got to jump right (laughs) back into the happiness, right back into the purpose of the serving. (laughs) So my answer has never been like, oh, here's how I deal. My answer has been like, what do you mean? How do I deal? You just get another kid in. So you have someone to love. And as I'm learning this about myself a little more, I'm hopefully becoming more healthy in that. But also I had an experience 
over Christmas where I had the deepest grief that I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. In the midst of that, welcomed a child in immediately, like before the one I was grieving even left. And really saw how unfair it was to that child. It took me, I mean, it's my little girl who's in my home now who I would lay down in traffic for this instant. So the attachment and the affection is there a million percent, but it took me weeks, a month maybe, because I didn't like close the chapter on the sadness of the one. It was so unfair to her to use her as like a Band-Aid almost it was it was the most i've ever felt like this is this is not healthy this is not me like how is god calling me to serve another right now this was like a okay he's leaving better get another one in and i realized that it took me so much longer to attach to her by so much longer i mean like a few weeks but and that i wasn't able to like fully give her my heart because my heart was still like back here tangled up and so anyway as you were talking i'm like she has some seven in her she has some (laughs) i don't want to feel the bad things so let's not feel them and let's just gloss over but i that's what you just said about like calling it grief how do you deal with grief how do you deal with loss And when we call it that, and then there's like a healthy, like seeking grace and fighting sin and having all that God has for us when we experience loss. If we don't call it loss, then we don't have the grace that's there for it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even non-foster parents don't, I feel, I mean, I think now in this current state of where we are as an emotional, like in emotional IQ, um, emotional, like enlightenment as a country society that I think people are now understanding what grief is and what it what it means and that it's not linear and that it's just jumbled and crazy and you can revisit steps if you can't like all of these things and I uh I feel like it it will make people understand more if they can understand what grief is and like have more empathy towards people that they meet off the street because everybody is literally in some kind of grief cycle, if not a gazillion, because I can literally name off all of my grief that I am currently sitting in and that's cycling through my life right now. But people don't understand that. People like don't understand that there's so much that people are grieving in life. It can be processes, people, systems, like it's so much more than just somebody dying. It's, intangible like grief and tangible lot like there's so much things and what you're saying about how that that builds compassion and empathy for others that's what's huge and that's why this isn't just about like oh don't be a victim and all like no this is what's going to build our heart for others when we see Mm -hmm. and remember what others are going through yeah and having grace for people that have i mean and i think that also comes back to as a foster parent I understand that people have gone through some hard things because I had a horrible childhood. And so, and I know every day the constant triggers that I face and I know the constant things that I'm like that my inner voice is telling me. And I also probably, I mean, honestly, there was a period of my life when I had Kennedy that I was in addiction and I was in a lot of like darkness and I could have been one of the biological parents. But I just had my, like, my mom saved my butt right? because she was the one that 
I could like, I was like, I need you to take my child. So like, I have all of this grace for these biological parents because I could have been one. I mean, anyone could have been one. Anyone could have a CPS case. It's just like, where are you in like your compassion for these parents? And like, what does grace look like? It's not necessarily something that they need to do. It's they, they prop most of these parents have had, it's just cycle of abuse, cycle of yeah, abuse, yeah. cycle of abuse. Yeah. And so they just pass it down. You can't like fault a parent for that's what they've been taught. Yeah. And so that's just how I approach biological parents is like, okay, you're a person, you probably have a really, really hard rough past and I'm not going to judge you. I'll just help you. Like, let me help you parent this child so that you can get them back. Yeah. So I've had, I had a super charmed childhood just to be completely frank. And so it was much more of a battle for me to get to that place because in my mind, this privileged two parent, it's just kind of like, well, what do you mean? And so I had to fight harder to get to a place that probably came more naturally for you. Like I, I know that I'm the chief of sinners only because I fight hard to tell myself that every day, (laughs) because I have, I look at my heart and know how evil it could have been, but for the grace of God, but to look at my life and say like, Oh, that's where this could have gone. That's like, I don't have those pain points. And so I've had to fight for compassion differently, but what a gift for you to take this story that was full of pain and, and turn it into that. And so I don't know a lot of your story. I know that you have a story, but I don't know a lot of your story. You just said that your childhood was really hard. I, I mean, as much as you're able to, can you share what that was like and how it shaped you as an adult, as a foster parent, I don't know, just speak to you. I don't even know what questions really, where to take this. So you take it. <laughs> um, so I, uh, my whole childhood is based off of literate, like my brokenness is from many layers of abuse. So my, uh, I was sexually abused by my paternal grandfather from the age of five. I remember from the age of five until I left to go to college. Oh. Um, and like constant, I mean, I, we lived with him for a while. Like we lived with my grandparents for a while. So it was just constant. Um, but I repressed all of that in my childhood. Um, it was just the way, I mean, that's just the way God let me cope. I think that mm-hmm. if I had not repressed it, I feel like it just would have overwhelmed me as a child. I mean, I was super depressed. Um, I acted out my trauma, but I had no idea what the trauma was until I had my daughter and uh, I had memory recall and it was, it hit me like a bus. So it was like so 20. You repressed, you mean literally repressed. Like you didn't have those memories. Man. Yeah. Um, I, I had no, I mean, even now my, my parents or my sisters, so I'm the oldest of three girls. Um, my sisters sometimes will like bring up childhood memories and I have no, I can't. I don't have that memory bank because I was, it was just constant abuse, like every, every, almost every day. And then my, my father, my biological father, I don't know why I called him biological father, but he's my dad. Um, my dad uh, at that point in my life was just super abusive. Um, I mean, he was raised by that man yeah, yeah, that yeah. was abusing me yeah. and his mom under like, and I wasn't the only one. So I mean, sexual abuse, any kind of abuse goes generations and Mm -hmm. generations. And so um, 
my dad was raised by this monster. And so he just, it was just that cycle of abuse. It was just him. It was just, that's just how he knew. And it wasn't necessarily sexual assault. It was just, you know, verbally and emotionally abusing us. Um, and, uh, it's just, it was just, I, I was sad. Like I was depressed. I was very, very depressed. I tried to commit suicide a few times throughout my life. Um, and I just, it was really hard. Like I was, I felt very much by myself. And I mean, I came, so I had a really hard childhood, but my socioeconomic status as a, like as a child, my dad, my parents were very, very, are still very, very well off. We are, were the only like non-white kids in the neighborhood of like a two mile radius. Everybody was white. Um, everybody was tech exec because I lived in the Bay area. So my dad was a tech or my dad still is a tech exec. Um, so it's very interesting how, I mean, I really think that I didn't go into foster care because we were rich. Like no, no white person is going to want to call on their block. Like, Hey, this guy is chasing after his kids. And like, he, he's an executive at this huge tech company, you know, like that's just something that nobody wanted to insert themselves in. And I think that I would have been in care had, had we been in another neighborhood, had yeah. we have been in another school, had we been like in all these different things, like a lot of things would have changed. And I, I truly believe that I would have ended up, ended up in foster care and my mom would have had to got, get me back, but that's not the way it went. Hmm. And so I recognize that. And as I got older, it was more about trying to pull people out of that darkness that I was in when I was a kid and God just telling me, this is like, you need to heal yourself so that you can help heal others. And then it just kind of evolved into like, okay, well now what do I do? I, like I was 18 and went to college, didn't know what to do. Um, joined a sorority, got pregnant at 20. I was in this super abusive, toxic, physically abusive relationship. And uh, I ended up like literally fleeing for my life. And, uh, ended up back at home cause I was at Fresno state and, uh, it was just, it was crazy. And then I gave birth and got started the healing process of like removing myself from toxicity and like just horrible relations. Um, and then I got super sick and I had really bad endometriosis and I ended up having hysterectomy. And, uh, I was 23 when I had a hysterectomy. Oh my goodness. And so, uh, the doctor was just like, how many kids do you want? And I said, I actually really wanted like three more cause I had Kennedy and he was like, well, you're not to figure it out of some other way. So then I started like researching adoption and then I was like, I don't want to adopt. Like that's not something. So then that just kind of evolved my foster care like where I wanted to go. And then I was like, wow, I can help families heal. Like as a whole family, like this is what I would have wanted somebody to do for us. So let me, like, I can do this now. Like I am in this place of healing and like letting God speak to me about how to go forward that I can do this. And it's been like 
two years. I've, I've been fostering for a year and a half. So it's been interesting. It's just been a crazy ride. All right. So let me ask you this. We are talking about having compassion on families that are in this cycle. And you, you hinted at generational cycles of abuse in your family. So how, and I don't even know that you can answer this, but like, how did that cycle stop with you? Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Good answer. Case closed. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, is that it? Did you have like a conversion story? What, what was your like background? So, um, I, my abuser, my, my, my abuser was religious, Mm. um, like always wore a cross. Um, uh, my dad knowing his dad and knowing his faith was like, I don't believe in God or like, you know, there, there, if this is a kind of person that yes. believes in God, then there is, is no God. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, and so we kind of like, we grew up, if we asked to go to church, my mom would take us. My mom would be like, oh yeah, if you want to go, like, I, I have no clue what it's about, but we'll go. Um, and then I started acting out my trauma in middle school, like getting in a lot of trouble. I was becoming a truant. I was graffiti like me graffiti now I'm like well okay um (laughs) um like getting picked up by police so my mom and dad decided like okay she's like off the wall we're gonna send her to a private catholic school and I didn't know Jesus like I'm I I was given a bible because I was being crazy and my mom was like, maybe you need a Bible. Maybe this will help you (laughs) in seventh grade. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to read this crap. And so I didn't know anything about it. And then I went to this high school and it was the first time I think that in my life that any male person, like any male had treated me like a human. Hmm. And it was, and it was them exuding the love of Jesus out. And so I just started like becoming super curious, like, okay, these people are crazy. Like, why are they treating me like this? Like, they're so nice and they love me. Like, why do they love me? My teachers have never loved me. Um, and like just feeling that love of Christ through them just made me way more curious. So then I started researching and learning and talking to people. And then I just got in it like who are these people and how can I be like that? Like, why can't I have more people like this in my life? And it was just because they're believers. Just experiencing Christ-like love just started to break down some of the things. Wow. That's incredible. And I, I mean, I believe that. And that's, what's so hard. Sometimes I look at my kids' families and I think there's no hope for this to change the hope is Jesus. The hope is that somehow this woman who grew up being abused Mm -hmm. and has been in addiction and prostitution and for 20 years, like you don't just stop using after 20 years. It just doesn't like, okay, I, I finally pulled myself up. It has to be a transformation. It has to be this, like someone intervened and turned my life around. 
I'm interrupting my chat to make sure that you know about the Real Mom Podcast landing page. You can find it at www.realmompodcast.com. There, I connect you to my guests. I connect you to all the resources and books and recipes and shows and everything that we discuss. That will be the best place for you to get the Real Mom Podcast experience. Visit there, www.realmompodcast.com. But I know that that also doesn't look like, okay, well, now I'm healed. Like, okay, now, like, Jesus saved me, and I love him. And so now just everything is different and better. So what does it look like now with Christ to still, like, wade through trauma and pain and and all of that? Yeah, I mean, I... There was a, I mean, I, like I said, there was like that dark period in my, in my adult motherhood life where I was in addiction. I was in this complete and total darkness. I was going through a, a divorce. I was, um, I, I ended up actually putting my grandfather, my abuser in jail, um, because he, like, after all that memory recall happened, uh, it was just a process. And he didn't really, he was, he acknowledged that he had done it. And then he was like, okay. And he tried to come in my house. And I was 26. And I was like, "Mm -mm, this is not happening. Like, we are not doing this. So I ended up reporting it. And it went into this full. You are so strong. You are so strong. Um, it was just so crazy. Like, and, and I was in the middle of my addiction at that point. So I was, I was working at a bar. I was a bartender at night. I was working in corporate. I was doing a ton of cocaine. Like I was doing a lot of drugs (laughs) and, but just to numb myself because it was very, very hard at that point. I went, I had to testify. I testified in front of my like in front of my paternal family and my paternal family was laughing at me because not only had they gone through it, but they're sweeping it under the rug and trying to tell me to stop doing this to them. Um, my sister, like my mom, I just like, there's so much that had happened in that, in that period of time where it was just like literally the enemy just trying to mm. kill me. Mm. And so I, at that point I was like, God doesn't love me. Like this is stupid. Mm. Um, and just in that, and then uh, my abuser decided to plead guilty to two count, uh, one count of lewd and lavicious acts against a child when he was actually charged with fifteen, and ended up getting three years, but and then only served a year and a half, which is ridiculous. But um, the craziest thing was that. Uh, I was not with, like, I wasn't walking with Jesus at that point. And, uh, I kind of was just telling everybody like, Ooh, I have to make an impact statement on my abusers, like sentencing, like, Ooh, I'm so excited. And then Jesus sent, like, we packed that whole courtroom because people were like, well, we need to come. And I had no intention of having people in that room. I just was telling people and God was like putting it on their hearts. Like you guys got to go. So I showed up to court and I just felt all of this love that Jesus had sent me. And that was when it was like, okay, I can, I'll surrender. Like I get it. Like, mm. and that is the point where like, uh, somebody told me in the last few years, like God heals you through the ways that you've been hurt. 
so that you can just completely heal that whole circle. And Mm. I get it. Like I got it. Like that is what I got. Like I completely understand. And so at that point I was just like, all right, cool. What do you like, where am I going? What do you need me to do? So then that was like a total surrender life. And I actually got help for my addiction. Like I dropped the bar. I actually like, all of these things started moving and then God told me to move to Fresno. (laughs) I love the word that you keep using of surrender and just that like, okay. I mean, that is what it means to be a follower of Christ to just say, I can't do this anymore, but to have so much that you're carrying and so much that was unfairly put on your shoulders by the people who should have been carrying it with you. And, and to be able to, just lay that at the cross and just be like, God, I surrender. I love that word. I think it's such just a beautiful picture of what it, what it looks like to follow Jesus. My sin is too much for me to carry. The hurt that other people have put on me is too much for me to carry. I can't do this. Forgive me and help me. Yeah. Cause it was either I surrender to him or I surrender and just take it, like mm-hmm. just be done because there was no way there was no, I think when people hear, like when people hear my story, they're just like, how are you still here? Like, yeah, how yeah. do you survive every day? Yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't like, I don't do that. This is not like my, my strength and my peace and my like, drive is not from me that is not something like I literally every day almost throughout the day like if there's something that I don't know immediately when it comes to the kids when it comes to the case when it comes to my life I literally like okay God like what 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 do you want help me what do you want the surrender doesn't stop it's just Mm -hmm. every day and throughout Mm -hmm. the day yeah Mm -hmm. All right. So what does it look like then for you to parent these kids who have gone through the same or similar? When I met you the first time you had, I believe you had a girl who was older than your daughter. So right Mm -hmm. now you're dealing with a baby who's hearing the physical of the trauma that was put on him in the womb, outside of the womb, whatever. But I know you've dealt with this with all ages. What does it look like for you to have compassion, for you to come alongside and walk the journey of trauma with these kids, with what you've experienced? Um, yeah, I mean, I've fostered all ages. Uh, right now, I'm because because I have my daughter, it's a little bit more difficult now to have two teens in the house. So I'm like, okay, we're not being seen because they're hard. But for me, it was a lot of like, it still is very much like, tell me your story and not necessarily like to the babies, but like mom, dad, like, what's your story? Like, what's Mm -hmm. going on? Like, why are you here? Like, what is the, where is the root of why you are here? And how can we, like, how can I help you? Um, And like, making that relationship into an actual relationship where I'm, I am part of their village and I'm a part of their support. Not necessarily like I, people always ask me that are starting fostering, like, what's your best advice? And my best advice is if you're going into this thinking that you're going to replace the parents, you're going to have a bad time Mm. because that's going to create so much that's just going to create so much inner tension and 
so much power play and so many more dynamics. Because your motivation that. then is something that isn't the system's motivation. You're playing a role that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people, and it's so crazy to me that people, when I tell them that they're like, Oh, I didn't even think of that. Oh, that is the Holy Spirit put it in your heart or you learned that the hard way because I think that it is miraculous to be able to get to that point, even though it seems like the obvious, like, okay, there's this system, we play this part in it. It's so counterintuitive and so counter everything our heart and body and mind tells us that it's literally like the Holy Spirit taught me this or someone came along and taught me this because everything in us is like, nope, this is my game now. I'm the parent. Without that lesson that God taught us, that is where we would be. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I think, I mean, as a human, I get, I, I get it. I can understand not having, if I were to not have trauma and becoming a foster parent and saying like, wow, these parents suck. Like yeah. they got their kids taken away. They're horrible people. Like how could they do this to kids? But it's that like perspective of, okay, okay so then like, why are they doing this? They were taught this. This is a learned behavior. This is a learned cycle. Like if they're currently in it, that means that somebody else put them in it and they don't know how to get out. So how do we break the cycle yeah. as a foster parent? And it's, for me, I feel like it's just being a part of their village. And like, I'll, I'll call parents out. Like you're doing that. Like you shouldn't be doing that. And I mean, a lot of the time I'm, and I am very honest constant like always it doesn't matter who it's with I'm always honest because I was just telling somebody it's harder for me. I have more anxiety trying to figure out what version of the story I'm on rather than just telling the dang truth so for me like I'm always honest and I'm uh, I if something has popped into my head of like this is not right I will always voice it and a lot of the time like the biological parents of the boys that I had for the year there were times in like meetings where I'd be like, Mm-mm, nope, that's not, we're, we're not doing this. This is not okay. You like, this is how you return them to me. And I'm not okay with that. This is not how you retreat your children. And it was hard for them, but then they would come back and be like, okay, how, like, what should I have done? Mm. And that's when I'm like, Ooh, yes, this is what I like. This is why I'm here. Well, and that's a privilege that you earn by loving them well. And that's the difference. I think if you're coming in to point, this is how you're wrong. This is how you're, when you're calling yourself part of their village and loving them well and giving the encouragement and the support, then that is an earned role for you to be able to bring that input also. So I think that just speaks to how well you love your kids' parents. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just absolutely love, I mean, I, I already said this sort of, but what I have had to fight to sort of place myself under, you see how God used what you've been through and your story and your personal experience to like, that was what brought you here. So I was not there and I had to learn how to be there, but God had prepared you to be a foster parent and to love these kids and their parents. And it's just really beautiful to hear. And I think that it can be an encouragement to anyone who's listening because where you are 
is the final result. That's where we should all be. And who knows what path it is to get there. But that compassion for them, that humility that we bring, that is the goal. And God may use all these different stories in all of our lives to bring us there. So I think that's going to encourage anyone where they are and what they've been through to see like, this is what God had all along to bring me to this place. So yeah, for sure. For sure. Like uh, all the pain for, for his glory. Like there's no, he used, I mean, he'll use any, any story to better anyone else. Like your story can bring healing no matter what, how dark it is. And I think I realized that because I was used to be so like anti transparent about my childhood because my, I mean, my parents, uh, like my, you, you can't grow up in like that kind of environment, especially as like a high profile, like high profile family and not want to like preserve that like exterior of this is what's perfect and we are perfect. But now as I'm getting older, I realize who cares? Like nobody is going to find healing in that fake story. Yeah, People are going to find healing in where I am now and where I've gone through. I love it. I love it. All right. I want to switch gears. I want to talk about you. Want to know what you're doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to. So what are you doing? With life. (laughs) (laughs) What's your thing Um, recently? Uh, recently is more of like, I'm, I'm going to start, uh, life coaching for people that have been touched by trauma. So just, uh, researching the crap out of that. That's like just starting this business. is just what I've been doing. I've been in this, this last couple of months of like, how does this work? How do I do this? (laughs) Help. (laughs) That's awesome. Talk about something that's needed and like, so unique to, your experience and your story. Like, I can't do that. That is, that is totally just God taking that. And now, okay, how can I really use this to serve others? That's beautiful. All right. What are you eating? I've been binging as, as I'm in the pre-cycle, (laughs) as I'm in the pre-cycle, I've been eating a lot of Milano cookies. (laughs) Milano cookies. That would not be my first binge choice. I gotta be honest. (laughs) I don't know why. It's just something I, maybe I have no clue. I just been like buying them like crazy. And my daughter's like, why are you all of a sudden eating these? I'm like, I don't know. I just want them. This is my (laughs) source of comfort right now. Don't question. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. What are you reading? Um, I just picked up this book. It's called, she wants to forget. I'm going to look up the, um, author, but it's basically a book of, poems and poetry um about like just about women and who've been through hard things it's been actually really cool to read it and see that I am like the some of the feelings throughout my life are represented in this poem Mm. it's almost like in this book it's almost like a there's nothing that's uncommon to man that like as much as your story is unique, it's not unique. There are so many other women who've experienced similar things. Yeah. Uh, it's by R.H. Finn. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are you watching? I am holding on to Game of Thrones right now because it's, I haven't watched the last episode, but that's like, that's it. Never seen 
a moment. Uh, nope. Never seen a moment. I read the first, I used to read graphic novels all the time. So I read the first mm. book, graphic novel form, but I, it's not my thing. <laughs> it's a lot of violence. So watching Game of Thrones, what are you listening to? Um, I've actually been listening to a lot of Transformation Church podcasts. Um, Pastor Mike Todd, he, like his sermon on Mark's place, uh, Marked has coincided really well with just this season of life that I'm in and like all this vision that he's been giving me um, for like the future. So like that's been something that has been very crucial this last few weeks. That's awesome. I love when God provides just this source of like, oh, this is everything that's going on in my heart. And now someone's going to speak to it directly. Yeah. <laughs> what a gift. Yeah. And tell you that you're validated. Mm. All right, Shay, I want to know for any single foster parents, anyone who just your story has really clicked with them, where can listeners find you? Um, so I'm on Instagram. Uh, I am at Shay.baybay. And I also have a website that is currently in, <laughs> in uh, it's soft launch. I just kind of have been letting it go. And it's uh, the single mom.blog. Cool. Well, I will link to those so that people can follow along with your story. Shay, this has been so good. Thank you for just spending this time with me. Thank you for, for not holding your story as yours. That I just watched this Jackie Hill Perry thing and it was like, God gave you that story so that you can share that story because it's about him. And the way that you point to him and give hope for other women who may be in that now or have been in that or women like me who almost have no frame of reference for that to hear the story for every person. I think it points God. It points to his redemptive story in all of us, whether it's our kids, parents, and how deep and low they may be, whether it's like, oh, little miss, middle-class white girl, or <laughs> everything in between, seeing that he just has a beautiful story of redemption for all of us. That's what he's about in all of us. And I think everything that you've said has been to him. And it's just a reminder to me in such a beautiful way that that is what he does. That's what his work that so thank you just for your openness and sharing your wisdom it's really been a gift to me and i think it's going to be a gift to everyone who listens so thank you shay thank you thank you i i love it thanks